Hello and welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. for joining me for episode 65 of the Adventure Games podcast. I hope everybody is well. This week, Captain D joins me to talk about his game, Captain Disaster Death Has a Million Stomping Boots, which has just been released on Steam today. So he talks to me all about his game, plus his other game, a free prologue, Captain Disaster The Dark Side of the Moon, which is also out on Steam. Now, Captain Disaster Death of the Million Stomping Boots is an award-winning game. It has won multiple awards already. So he talks all about that game, about the voice acting, about the puzzles, about humour involved. So, well, without further ado, please enjoy. I am joined by Captain D, the developer, or one half of the developers of Captain Disaster. And you have just released... Your game on Steam at well time recording or about to release it, but hopefully by the time this episode goes out, you will have released it. So, hello, well, hello, Captain D. How are you? Hello, I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. We're getting on okay. I know we were having a conversation uh, pre-recording, but uh, all good here so far, and hopefully it'll continue that way. So. Um, and so, first of all, congratulations on releasing your game on Steam. I know that uh, other people as well have told me that that can be quite an ordeal. So, and I know we were talking a little bit about that as well. So, um, yes, it was very painful <laughs> the process, but it's uh, hopefully over now. Yeah, and hopefully it'll be worth it in the future. And so, now before we talk about your game, Captain Disaster, I was wondering if you could introduce yourself and just say what are your favorite adventure games that you played okay well um my name's dave i'm older than i wish to admit to and um really i I can't pick one game that is my favorite but the game that really introduced me to the graphical point and click adventure was zach mccracken and the aliens mindbenders back on the Atari ST, and I just I just loved that game, even though it had certain things that I really hate about adventure games, like um, it's got some dead ends, and it's, uh, it's got mazes. I really hate mazes, and I don't understand why people put them in the games. But despite that, David Fox and the team, they, they created this wonderful, goofy world with um, Zach, himself is just such a lovable character it just always comes out with some sarcastic quip even if his life's in danger or he's seen the most amazing thing he'll just come out with this one-liner and the locations the the things you could do what i especially liked about the game i think is that a lot of the puzzles actually had more than one way to solve them and it was just this wonderful world building and took us two years to complete my sister and i this was sort of in the days pre-internet pre-easy access to hints and it was from zach really that my love of point and click adventure games developed and sort of then through the monkey island games and indiana jones and the last crusade and then 
onwards um right up until i discovered adventure game studio and then after playing i don't know probably about 100 ags games i got involved with helping someone on theirs and eventually became a developer myself so you, so you had a journey yourself from the LucasArts games and the other point-and-click adventure games all the way to AGS Studio, which, again, that's, that opened up a whole new world to me when I first discovered that as well in the <coughs> early 2000s, I'm going to say, that because I was looking for more adventure games to play, and I saw, oh, wow, these, these games are mostly free. Oh, wow. Well, at the time, they were all free. Uh, do you have any particular favorite AGS games? Oh, there's been so many so amazing many games. <laughs> um, the first games that I found uh, probably were the Rob Blank series by Yahtzee, who's who's a bit of a legend himself. And mm. I think one of his other games, um, was it Adventures in Galaxy of Fantabulous Wonderment or <laughs> something like that, the titles. Okay. Uh, Crystal Shard have made some incredible games as well, Tale of Two Kingdoms and uh, Heroine's Quest. Then, of course, the Wadget Eye games, Gemini Rue, Primordia. There's just been some really amazing things coming out. And it, it just seems that every year, more and more incredible things are being done with AGS. Oh, yeah, there's, um, you know, there's also Francisco Gonzalez. And last year there was Guard Duty, and I believe Detective D was, um, was released using AGS as well. And there's, you know, there are plenty of uh, oh, yeah, really good... Korea. Um, Tom Tom's game is also great. Yes, yes, I, I played that as well. It was um, another really yeah. There's so many. I mean, we could we could do a podcast just on AGS games, <laughs> which uh, um, you know that that might be somewhere we go in the future because there's so so many. But um, but yeah, I've never actually played the Sacra McCracken game. I remember, I know Thomas has played the, was one of the first games he played as well. And as he mentioned, that there are some Issues with the game that I read about. I don't know if you know the the, the well the game reviewer John Walker, uh, the games journalist. He's um and he he writes now retrospective articles and he wrote about Zach McCracken and he spoke with the issues with that game now. But um but yeah so it's um but it's funny that you mentioned that you didn't don't like mazes because I hate them as well, especially oh, random. Right. You have good taste. Especially well, random generated mazes, which would oh. change it. And why? Why would you do that? <laughs> I was I was just mentioning to Thomas that the games made back in the olden days, a lot of the game design was very cruel. You know, random mazes. You had time limits where you didn't know that there were time limits, and then you uh, death scenes, and you'd just be brought back to the beginning. Which was, it's, I'm just happy that a lot of adventure games now are. You know they're not like that. So, um, but yeah. So then, if you wanted to uh, to talk about your game, Captain Disaster, then. So, I was wondering if you could let, tell us um, how did the the idea for Captain Disaster come about? Oh, it's it's way way back. Um, back in my teen years, really. I started writing some short stories. I think I, could, I think it got published in nineteen ninety eight or nine in a really small magazine called visions had a readership of about 150 people um so i wrote a few short stories about captain disaster and i kind of always had it in mind with my love of zach mccracken and monkey islands that hey this would actually make a, a really good adventure game um 
and back when AGS was in its DOS incarnation was the first time I tried. Uh, do you remember making a two-room demo? Um, couldn't do very much, but it, it's looking back on it, um, the cockpit and cargo bay design actually pretty similar to what ended up being in the full game. I'm not really sure if that was intentional or not. Um, and then for years, I kind of got sidetracked with other things. I did try now and again to get a couple of people interested in doing the game with me, um, partly because I was probably too lazy to learn the coding aspect of it myself. Uh, and then eventually someone did, and we made a demo. We were going to use the short stories that I'd already written, but after a short time, it became clear that the short story that I wrote just really didn't lend themselves to making an actual game. I mean, they just were mainly based on wordplay and incredible coincidences, which obviously wouldn't work in an adventure game. So that was really when uh, Death Has a Million Stomping Boots was born. So I came up with an idea and expanded it. Uh, we made the demo uh, and then we had a lot of problems with production. Um, it kind of just all fell apart. So we released the demo. When did we release the demo? 2012 or 2013. Um, won the AGS award for best demo for that year. So that was encouraging. But uh, the guy who worked with me on the demo, just he just literally didn't have time to keep going. So after a bit of a hiatus, a chap who's online called BitPriest um, got in touch on the AGS forums. We had a chat, started working on it again, and then just a mere sort of four years later, finished the game. That's no time at all in game development, <laughs> I've heard. Yeah, well, this, is, this is after the initial two years. <laughs> yeah, no, because I, I've spoken to some people who are 10 years working on a game and still working on it. So uh, four to six years is no time at all. But uh, no, congratulations on getting the, you know, getting the game out there. Uh, because I've heard that game development is, uh, uh, it, it can be hard. It can be challenging. <laughs> yeah, um, well, I think the main problem I had when I started was that I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. <laughs> uh, so I've learned a lot over the course, and BitPriest has had experience already with game design, software design. So he really, he was, he was amazing, really. He, he helped me through the process, showed me where I was basically creating problems for myself with the whole design process. Um, so I think... Yeah, as my code is at least as much his game as mine in the end, the amount of work he put into it. And just little touches as well that I don't know if people would even notice when they're playing the game, but just little things like um, dynamic shadows and lighting in the doorways that, okay, you might not even realise they're there, but they just add that extra little bit of authenticity to the game world. Yes, no, I know what you mean. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are people who, who would notice and who would probably uh, criticize the game if they weren't in it. You know, those people, oh, the shadows are not, uh, you know, the correct diameter or the correct shape. Or it's um, actually that's, you know, again, for, you know, games like these, because these are indie games to have these small details as well. 
it's it's really good as well. It's pretty incredible as well. So um, they find it they do help. So um, so Captain Disaster started off as a short story. Then is that correct? Uh, yes, a series of short stories. Okay, and so then it became a game then as well. And um, so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about who Captain Disaster is, because I'm just going to go out and limb here, but if I was on a ship, and if I knew that my captain was called Captain Disaster, it wouldn't exactly inspire inspire me with confidence that he knows what he's doing. So. Well, there's a very good reason for that. He almost never does know what he's doing. He's, <laughs> I mean, not not that I based his character on Guybrush Fleetwood, but if you put Guybrush Fleetwood in space, he'd be pretty similar to Captain Disaster. He's just one of these characters that, with no ill intent, puts the galaxy at danger, in danger again and again, and um, more through just random chance and persistence manages to save the day. But of course, it's usually in a way that no one realizes he's saved the day. So he's, uh, he's, he's just, yeah, he's just a, <laughs> his chaos theory in space. <laughs> so it's uh so it's, it's he saves a day but almost by accident i'm guessing <laughs> pretty much yeah <laughs> um uh, interesting our next game spoiler alert but our next captain disaster game i think it's going to be a little bit more subtle the disaster aspect it's he's gonna seem like he's he's the one who actually knows what he's doing and then suddenly it'll turn out that he doesn't but uh Still in the planning stages for that, so I'm not going to say anything more right now. Okay, yeah, I still have some way. I look forward to hearing more about that. But um, And is Captain Disaster his real name, or is that just a, a name that people give him? I think at some stage, and I'm, well, when I say I'm writing the novelization for Death Has a Million Stomping Boots, what I mean is I started writing it about a year ago, and I've done about the first chapter and a half. And, and not touched it since. But I think I made his first name Clive. I don't know if Disaster is actually his surname or if he's... In the game itself, and, and this, this came about almost by chance, he's given the name Captain Disaster by another character. And um, we decided to use that because it just fit, fitted the, the game really well. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. Certainly me- memorable. And... Um, so Captain Disaster, Death of the Million Stomping Boots is coming out on Steam now. It, well, it should be out now on Steam by the time this episode goes out. And But uh, uh, is, is this the first game? Because I know it's a series that we were saying that there's a couple of others. Uh, so is, is this the first in the series? Dark Side of the Moon was actually the first game that I ever really fully um, project managed myself. In that I designed it from start to finish. It's about a two to three hour game. Uh, as with most of my projects, it started in concept as something much smaller than it actually ended up as. I need to stop doing that. Um, I worked with another guy who did the program, but I basically did everything else. So the design, the graphics, the sound effects. And later on, I fully voiced it. I voiced all five, five characters myself, which was, uh, was a lot of fun, actually. Um, so the character links the games, but they're not really dependent. You don't need to have played Dark Side of the Moon to understand the events of 
stomping boots or vice versa. Um, just it's just the Captain Disaster universe as such. So you've got some things that are the same within the games and the books. Um, just especially now that it has started to develop. When I'm writing new stuff, I tend to just pop in the odd reference to something that's already existing in the uh, Captain Disaster universe. Okay. And how, how do you come up with uh, stories for the Captain Disaster games then? In, well, in general then, do, are there things that come to your head or do you see something maybe from either a TV series or from life or from uh, anything else that you put into the games then? Because uh, they seem to be, you know, the, the story, they seem to be very interesting as well with, um, with the characters. So how, how do you come up with the stories then for, for this character? Um, I have to say, usually they just sort of come to me when I'm not specifically trying to think about it. Very occasionally I do think of a specific TV show or film or something and think of a way of spoofing it. So like Dark Side of the Moon is, if any any of your older listeners might remember the uh, 25th year anniversary episode of Doctor Who, The Five Doctors. And the events in the game are kind of quite largely inspired by that. But usually they just come to me in some sort of deranged form. And I I try and hold them in my head long enough to actually put them into a book or game or whatever before they go again. My memory's a bit like that. It just seems (laughs) to come and go. Oh, I I know what you mean. Well, sometimes I think I've got a great idea for... A podcast or even for a game I'm going to make or a story I'm going to write and then I you did to come to me when I'm sleeping and or you know when I'm in bed at night and then I wake up in the morning and I completely forget I was like, yeah oh, what what the, what was that the what moment, was that amazing idea I had it's the moment before you go to sleep you suddenly have the brilliant idea that's going to change everything <laughs> and then you wake up and you've completely forgotten it but you know you had it yes and you spend the whole day <laughs> trying to get it back but it just doesn't happen Yes, yes, no, you, and you're trying desperately to remember, but, so it's not just me then, it's... It is, definitely not. Um, oh, well, I'm sure sometime I'll, I'll remember, so, um, well, what can, what can you tell us then, uh, so we can talk about then the game that is on Steam, hopefully two of them are on Steam now, but um, about then, Death Has a Million Stomping Boots, what can you tell us about the, the general story and the setup of this game? So in this game, uh, we start off with Captain Disaster having run out of money, which is a very common event. And his ship's computer, Zero Bit, decides they need a job. And because the captain himself is pretty indecisive, the computer decides on the job for him, which is just a basic delivery job. But as things progress, he finds out that this simple delivery job is actually something that is putting the entire galaxy in danger. And being, you know, rather dim-witted, but basically a good egg, once he finds out that he's nearly destroying life, all, all life in the known universe, he uh, sets about trying to stop it. Okay. Um, and so then he goes on different adventures, I imagine, and he uh, uh, he might make things worse, I'm guessing, at times. <laughs> Uh, he may potentially accidentally start a civil war on one planet, yes. <laughs> wow, now I'm definitely interested. <laughs> and uh, what other 
uh, I mean, I don't want to keep story, but what other characters uh, can or type of characters do we meet then in the game? Uh, right. So well, you've got the captain himself and Zero Bit, who is basically the snarky ship's computer. Um, there's a, a customs official who sounds very much like Alan Rickman. I didn't realise <laughs> when I cast the, the voice actor that it was going to be Alan Rickman. But anyway. um, <laughs> there's, uh, there are various aliens in a marketplace, two of whom are far more interested in talking to each other and exchanging jokes than actually selling you anything. Uh, there's a planet where there's a... Is this a spoiler or not? Well, without saying too much, there's there's a waitress, a barista, an artist, a mad general, and two scientists. This is also a comedy adventure game set in space. Is it in any way similar to is Captain Disaster in any way similar to Roger Wilco in Space Quest, or is that is that a or are there differences between them? That's that's a difficult question for me to answer. Everyone <laughs> assumes that Captain Disaster is based on or closely related to Roger Wilco. I've basically never played any of the Space Quest games myself. Okay. Um, I did have, I don't know if it was either three or four on the PC years ago, and I was very excited to finally play a Space Quest game. And uh, basically on the first screen, there was this robot that, killed me after about 20 times yes. of being killed by this robot i just i lost patience with it and i never played it again i know there was um there's a fan game um revenge of the hall which i did play a bit of that was that was very good but roger wilco didn't seem to me at, from that limited play to be that similar a, a character um so i don't know I'd, I'd need someone who's played both to really answer that question I, I don't know much about space quest at all okay um, i very much grew up loving the lucasfilm games lucas arts uh so you know, monkey island series the dig full Souls, and kraken um never really got into the sierra games now my co-dev grew up loving the sierra games rather than more than the lucas so there is some like there is a, a comedy death scene in Captain Disaster, although it's a, a bit of an Easter egg. You, you can actually complete the game without seeing it. Um, and one or two Sierra references, but they, they mainly come from a codec because I've, I suppose I've played um, a couple of the King's Quest games, you know, the AGD remakes mm -hmm. a few years yes, ago. Yes, I've played those as well, yes. But uh, I, I have such limited patience with adventure games that will kill your character just because you can't step one pixel to the left when you should have, you know, it, it doesn't appeal to me. No, I, I would agree with you as well, because I played Sierra games as an adult, that I grew up playing this uh, LucasArts games, and then I got the collections of the Sierra games. And while I did enjoy them, and I can't see why uh, they have been a lot of fans, I do agree with you that I also find them very frustrating, <laughs> that especially the early ones where... As we mentioned, uh, I believe some of them have time limits, but you don't know there's a time limit. And trying to maneuver your character, I believe in King's Quest, there is a, a cliff you try to go up, but you're a path that you keep falling off. And I believe there's a bridge as well. If you go over the bridge a few times, it just collapses. 
and that's the end of the game. <laughs> you have to. And even even the very first game, you come out on the first screen, you can just fall into the moat and die. And, <laughs> and to me, you're just thinking, well, where's the fun in that? Yeah, I I don't. I guess there's maybe different times, but then even back then when Ron Gilbert said, no, you can only have, uh, or you should make adventure games where the character can't die. Um, so, so then I suppose that brings me nicely on to the type of gameplay and puzzles in your game, in Captain Disaster. Um, so can we expect any underwater timed mazes where we don't know there's a time in the maze and are there um is there a time limit that we don't know about in your game or what can you tell Uh, us about the puzzles i mean this this sort of puzzle the game kind of frequently mocks there's at one point where you you get into a lift and the computer tells you right you've got to do this you've got to fix the circuits but every time you move one circuit it moves all the other circuits and then (laughs) If you you've got a time limit, and if you die, you have to restart, and the player character just what what is this can't be right? And you go, oh no, I'm just kidding. Um, so <laughs> yes, the, my my I, I designed it to be very forgiving. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say particularly easy. Uh, one of the things that people have fed back, uh, especially ones who aren't sort of greatly familiar with the the genre is that they they found some of the puzzles quite difficult so i've just tried to find that right just trying to find that sweet spot between being too easy and too challenging um and i really really have tried to avoid any pixel hunting because pixel hunting tries to be yeah me too I, that's another thing i don't like it's <laughs> um i don't know that that sounds good no pixel hunting then i'm all for that how do you then have the, you know, you mentioned you've tried to find a sweet spot. Uh, so how, how did how did you try and find it then? Is it involve a lot of testing? Because I'm guessing that a puzzle for some people might be too difficult, for others might be too easy. So how how did you go about trying to find a sweet spot with uh, puzzle difficulties? Puzzles difficulty, rather. <laughs> I think it's the case. You, you'll often hear developers say, I'll try to make the game that I would want to play. So yeah. that's that's the first thing. And obviously having a codev means that if one of you thinks up a puzzle and the other one says, well, no, actually, that doesn't make sense or that's too difficult or too obscure, then you find another way around it. And we had, I can't remember how many testers we had in the end, maybe about six or seven, um, tried to get feedback from them specifically about the puzzles, what, did they like about them? What did they not like? What did they find difficult? And if something was difficult, um, because changing an actual puzzle can involve so much work in an adventure game, you know, you, you've got to re- regression test so many things. If you actually point back change a puzzle, it's more more a case of, okay, what pointing can we do? What hints can we give the player in this situation? Maybe through the dialogue or through the descriptions. Um, so just basically, yeah, if if testing revealed that a lot of um, the testers were finding something really quite difficult or obscure, it was more a case of trying to introduce hints naturally in the gameplay and in the dialogue uh, rather than just saying, I don't think there were many puzzles that we thought, OK, I'm just going to have to throw this out. It doesn't work. Um, 
I know the very last puzzle in the game. It, I think it only ever made sense in my head. Um, my code my didn't really seem to grasp what I was trying to say, which is no doubt because I explained it badly. And I think if any if anything gets criticised in the game puzzle-wise, then it's probably that final puzzle. We did win the AGS award for best puzzles, though, so we can't. They must have mostly been good. Usually, when people talk about adventure games, I find that it's very rare that people talk about great puzzles. Usually, we remember the puzzles that were not good, that didn't make sense. Um, you know, there's the classic ones. You know, the, the longest journey with the rubber duck in Broken Sword, the goat. And in... Oh, I hate that guy. <laughs> and yeah, a lot of. And actually, I I I saw an interview with Charles Cecil where he said he uh, that that was added in afterwards because people were complaining that the game was too easy. So that's why they added to put it a bit more difficult, which would then go on to be more infamous. <laughs> but so it just goes um, to show you can't please everyone. Exactly. Exactly. No, but congratulations on that. So at least we know then that puzzles are good if it won the best puzzles, you know, for the AGS award. So, and um, and then when this is a comedy game, then as well. And I know you mentioned that you're a fan of LucasArts. So, what can you tell us about the the comedy or the um, you know the comedic situations that uh, the player finds himself or a character finds themselves <coughs> in? So. I'm guessing inspiration was taken from LucasArts, but how do you go about, you know, making the comedy, you know, ma- making the, give the game uh, your own identity as well with the comedy? How did you go about that? If that question makes any sense. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> um, I think so. My brain's still processing it. Um, I, I think, yeah, I think a lot of the comedy comes from obviously the captain himself, the, the stupid things he does, his lack of understanding with things. Um, although I did get a lot of inspiration from classic adventure games uh, and a few things. If if I had to pick one thing that really has inspired my style of comedy in the game, it would be Red Dwarf, um, specifically the early series where it got both Doug, Doug Naylor and Rob Grant writing the comedy in those was just so funny, so priceless. And I think that's what had the biggest influence on me. So some of the comedy does obviously stem from referential humour. It references, I don't know how many games and movies and sci-fi books and whatever. Um, But yeah, I suppose, I don't know how to describe it really. It's whatever felt funny to me at the time um i'd probably stick it in there um so if people don't find it funny then it's it's completely my fault <laughs> oh well i i i have read that people do find the game funny so <laughs> that people do like uh, the game so then that's their I t- fault <laughs> that's their problem then right <laughs> now so we can we can hear from from your accent that you're british so would you say that some of the comedy is british humor like because i know some people reference when their games monty python and um you know terry pratchett or others uh, would you say that your comedy might be british or would you say that that it's different oh definitely british um, <laughs> in fact even though my code of bit priest is american uh, and you wouldn't believe the number of things that 
it's just so difficult to communicate between English and American. Honestly, the idiomatic expressions that we both use that the other person's just completely what 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 does that even mean? Um but I I've always wanted the identity of the game and the character to be extremely British. So, you know, what does he drink? He drinks tea because <laughs> he's English. What does an English person drink? They're gonna drink tea. Um and sort of down to uh, I insisted that all of the spelling of things in the game was the British spelling, not the American spelling. Um, Good, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose some things, I don't know, um, British humour does have a reputation of being somewhat cruel. So maybe there is a little bit of that. I mean, things like Hitchhikers, Discworld, yeah, definitely... Um, whether I intentionally or unintentionally, I've drawn inspiration from them as well as Red Dwarf. So, yes, definitely a British game, which may, of course, mean that some people just it don't get it or it passes them by. Um, but the game had to be British. As soon as I decided that... The funny thing was Captain Disaster himself. I'd always thought if ever I was going to have... A Captain Disaster game or heaven forbid movie or whatever I always pictured him as having this kind of slow American drawl which I'm really really bad at so. um, but it was since I only started actually making the game after I come up to uh, Birmingham um, so I decided that Captain Disaster should be a for me and just a little story uh, my co-dev was um, I was doing a video chat with him and his son came in. I was talking to him. And his son says, that sounds like Captain Disaster. Because he'd obviously <laughs> um, seen bits of the game being developed. So, yeah, it is Captain Disaster. <laughs> <laughs> so you put on... Derek can bring me to the voice acting. So uh, we mentioned that uh, your the previous game was fully voice acted. Is Death of the <laughs> Million Stomping Boots, is, is your new game, is that fully voiced as well? Oh, yeah. but, but I'm not every single character in this game. You'll be very glad to hear. Yeah, <laughs> okay. we've got quite a quite a few people, and we we also won the AGS award for best voice work. So again, it can't be that bad. Wow! Congratulations uh, on that. It was actually quite quite an amazing journey doing the voice directing because um, just randomly got people I knew in the AGS community to. Do a do a character for me to say, oh, you know, can you try a couple of lines and see what it sounds like? And we just got some absolutely incredible performances by them. And the, the guy who did uh, the customs official, um, he's very sadly passed away since the game was originally launched. Um, but his his voicing was so perfect; it just really would not be the same game without these voices in them. There's, there's the odd part where uh, it's not quite as good as I would like, um, but that's mainly down to my own performance or um, the equipment. But I'm, I'm pretty proud of how the voicing turned out because we just, we just found a bunch of people who, who love adventure games. They wanted to help. They weren't, you know, expecting to be paid millions of dollars or anything. Um, and they just, for the joy of it, gave a, a performance that just, I think, it, it lifts 
the game without if this game was released without voice acting yeah okay it, it'd be good it'd be funny you still have the puzzle but to me having each character having a, a unique different voice is really it goes a long way to making the game what it is are all the the, the actors british then as well to keep with uh any of the characters or did you have any different accents in oh the we've game? got all sorts i mean some of them i don't really know what they are <laughs> um i suppose it's so, that in space so <laughs> well yeah it should be cosmopolitan shouldn't it um <laughs> so bitpiece um did some of the voices himself um he's american another american chap did zero bit at least the main voice for zero bit because he kind of changes voices a couple of times toward the end but he did an amazing job i can't imagine anyone else as zero bit um, I think one of the guys was Swedish, one's in Japan. I mean, this is just the this is just the glory of the age that we live in. People from all over the world can contribute to a project. And you know, some of them I didn't even really know what country they hailed from. But if they could do I, I did have um did have someone try and do a Brummie accent and she's she was German and had no idea what a Brummie sounded like. So that was quite interesting. <laughs> I didn't use that in the game, but it was it was so it was so funny to hear it. Nice. I look forward to hearing it. So so you put on a, a Brummie accent or a Birmingham accent then? Yeah, I, I think um probably I try try to sound like Timothy Spall more than anything and he is a Londoner but his <laughs> and and Stu, Stu the Brummy uh, on Twitter said my accent's not too bad, so I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. That that's good because a lot of times when people attempt accents, and then it's it's best when someone from that country or that place, if they say that your accent is good, then okay, you know you've done something what something right. It's because as an Irishman, and I hear especially when I watch movies with. Uh, usually Americans playing Irish characters, and a lot of the times it it just doesn't sound good. It's like that's that is not Irish. I don't know where that's from, but it's <laughs> certainly not. It's nowhere. And in Ireland we have a lot of accents, but it's like uh, and even good actors like Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks, and it's like I don't know what Irish accent you're attempting or where it is because I've I've never heard of that accent before. <laughs> I sometimes try and do an Irish accent, but I'm not very good at it. <laughs> it can be I... difficult. <laughs> it's one of the ones I just cannot do. I, in in the other Captain Disaster game, one of the characters is American. I, I do my very bad attempt at a slow American drawl, and um, someone described it as being delightfully all over the place. But that was intentional, right? But I was just doing my best. But anyway, it's a comedy <laughs> game, so I'm I'm giving myself some leeway with that. And um, so then there's a. It says that there was an epic music score in your game then as well. So uh, what, what can you tell us about that? Uh, did you get someone to, to, to do the music for the game? Oh, it's mainly just marketing spiel. Okay. Who calls it epic? No, um, we, had, we, had, um, we had a couple of different um, musicians. Um, so I, I used some pre-existing music, some that was pre-existing that I altered. Um, Tom, oh, what is his name? Thomas Rodor Schneider. Oh, I can't remember his name. He's going to be very upset if he ever hears this interview. Um, but he, he composed some of the music that I used specifically in Disaster Area. I kind of um, ran it through a mechanical filter and thought it sounded like it fitted. And he very, very kindly came up with the Captain Disaster theme for me, which was 
just the number of times I've heard that, but it still just goes through my head at random occasions now, and I, I, I love hearing it every time. Uh, and he did the interlude music. Um, Diane Thomas, I can't remember if that's her married name or not. It might be a name at the time, but anyway, um, she's uh, an HS4 member. She produced some of, quite a lot of music for the planet, uh, especially the marketplace music, which is sort of an, uh, an uh, Arabian composition, which is absolutely brilliant. Um, could listen to that a lot. And one or two, I just I sourced on, um, uh, what's it called? FreeSFX.co.uk. There was one track. I was just searching for a track that captures a particular mood for the rubbish dump. And uh, eventually I came across this one and checked the license. Thought, yeah, I can use this. And, I think overall, it each each music track fits very well, fits the locations very well. And for an adventure game, really, that's the main thing. You you want something that fits the mood, but also something that if you're in the location for more than three minutes, which is kind of the average length of a track, and it loops, you're not going to think, oh, no, not this again. Um, <laughs> so even with the music coming from various different sources i think that it's really captured that um more far more than you'd think for the the budget i had for the, the for the project i see that it was all also nominated for best music and sound in the ags award 2017 so again it seems to have worked and um and then also that we we see with the graphics that you mentioned it's the retro 320 by 200 resolution it's- graphics as well, it's yes? the only resolution. Okay, and was this in, intentional to make the game look retro, or were there any other reasons? Retro is that an Irish thing? Retro, not retro. Oh, pro- probably. It could be. It could be a shorter thing. because <laughs> sometimes no, I invent I've never heard pronunciation. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. It was always definitely the intention to go for a very retro look. So, again, going back to the games that I loved on the Atari ST, that was the resolution, 320 by 200. It's kind of that 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 resolution is kind of synonymous with a certain era of adventure gaming. So yeah, it was always that one. And my although we did have um, some issues with the graphics, and fortunately BitPriest taught me around to making sure it was more um more of a uniform style throughout the game because i basically done a couple of screens out of desperation because uh, i had an artist and then they they didn't deliver and then i had another artist and they didn't deliver um he he pointed out just how important it was for the game to have a uniform look and feel throughout the game so that did mean we work in some fortunately he's he's quite a talented artist the guy as well his, his talents no, no bounds really um and i always wanted it to have a cartoony style i know that certain other styles are very popular these days and cartoon cartoony graphics can put people off to a certain extent but it just it had to be a cartoony style for captain disaster it was how i'd always imagined him um, and I just think if you made it more realistic or more stylized, it it would just take away some of the charm of the game. Right. Yeah. I I think the graphics look really good actually for for what it's worth. If uh, if you know thirty 
uh, has the retro. Yes, I'm going to keep saying it like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep saying it my way. It's <laughs> probably thing. wrong. Exactly. Retro, even though <laughs> retro man. Even though I'm sure it's wrong, I've been, I've been told that there are some words that I just say in a very weird way. And this is probably one of them, but I think they look very good. They look kind of still detailed as well. That they they kind of, they, they it does look appealing. So um, it it does um, you know I you know congrat well congratulations then on that. And so that is out. It's going to be out on Steam. Hopefully by the time this interview goes out, and then we spoke a little bit about your other game, the Dark Side of the Moon, which you're hoping will be up on Steam as well at the same time. Yeah, unless I've messed something up with the setup <laughs> again. <laughs> but yeah, I've heard that it can be. Uh, I, I, this uh, interview hasn't gone out yet, but I spoke with other developers who did mention their issues as well. Not in too much detail, but how challenging it was uh, putting a game on, up on Steam. Now, you have your games on itch.io and, and Steam then. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing Steam was Steam more difficult to put your game on. Um, uh, originally, we decided to not put it on Steam for reasons which um, is not worth really going into now. But um, recently, we had another chat about it, BitPriest and I, and we decided, yeah, do you know what? Let's let's go for it now and see what happens. Um, I really love itch.io. It's a fantastic site. It's a fantastic idea. Um, but if you want to sell a decent number, you, you really need to be on Steam or GOG. And GOG, unfortunately, already told us that they weren't interested in the game. Uh, that's Very a shame. Nicely, but yeah. you know, they weren't interested. Um, so, yeah, and I, I didn't actually have the money available to pay the Steam Direct fee originally. And I just I said something about it on Twitter. And within a day, my Kofi account had enough in it to um, pay for both Captain Disaster games to go on Steam. So, I can, so if anyone, uh, if anyone who helped me out then is listening, just thank you so much. Your generosity has just really overwhelmed me. Yeah, that's very generous, Adam. That's that's great. So now, thanks to them, then we can f- find your games on Steam. So everybody wins. <laughs> everyone should buy them. <laughs> everyone. <Yes. laughs> no, absolutely. No, I have heard some some really great things about about the game so I, I will be playing them hopefully this uh, uh, this year because it's even though right now we are at, at home a lot I still find it difficult to find the time to, <laughs> to to do the things that I want play the games that I want as well which uh, is you know kind of surprising but um, and then you also have a few ebooks of Captain Disaster as well and one of them, at least, I believe, is based on the Dark Side of the Moon, which is in ebook edition as well. Um, yeah. So, did you find any? Were there any particular differences to writing for a game and writing for an ebook? So, I'm guessing maybe with some of the puzzles in the Dark Side of the Moon, how do you go about writing them in the ebook? Or did you write the ebook first and then you added puzzles in the game? Or how did you go about writing for the two? the two different formats um dark side was different to anything else i've written in that the game came first and and i've always felt a little bit bad that hardly anyone's actually played the game because i feel like some of my best and funniest writing i've ever done 
went into that game. Um, and then I accidentally made it possible to miss almost all of this writing because if you don't look at objects, you can still complete most tasks without actually seeing um, seeing the descriptions. And uh, so, yeah, did that make any sense? Um, yes, but anyway. yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yes, it was different. So basically, what I did with that was um, I took. I ripped all the dialogue out of the game and put it in the game in order. And then I, I built the story around that. So obviously I didn't, I, I didn't have it follow the exact pattern of what happened in the game because a, that would have been quite boring and, and B, if you played the game, why read the book or vice versa? So I made some things a little bit different. I introduced a couple of characters and, um, so yeah, that was that was actually really nice to write because it was effectively it, it was converting the game into a, a short story rather than just thinking up something from scratch. But it was it was nice to think of ways of making that story more interesting and adding some more jokes, uh, but while retaining a lot of the the writing that for the game that I'd felt was good. Whereas everything else, normally speaking, I've just written the stories as a standalone thing. Um, I am eventually going to write the novelization of Stomping Boots, but again, that's a case of I've got to decide what to include and what not. If, if I'm going to write a hint book, I'll just write a hint book rather than a story with the solutions in there. So um, it, as you say, it seems like it's always something to take your time away from these things. Uh, so one day, one day it will happen, but um, that will not be today or tomorrow. <laughs> but the next day, the day after tomorrow, maybe? Or... <laughs> well, maybe in 2025 or something like that. <laughs> okay, so we just have five years to go then. <laughs> um, no, because uh, there are some games that have novelization student adventure games as well of course there are the first two gabriel knight games which uh, jane jensen wrote books for i i believe you know i read both of them and i think their second novel was better than the first one simply because the first novel was basically as you mentioned like a hint book or a walkthrough for the game and while some of the things some of the puzzles you know if you don't question them in a game but then you put them in a book and it's like, wait, what, why, are, why is the character doing this? Why is this happening? Why don't they just do this? <laughs> Which, yeah. Um, but, and then, and course, uh, yeah, so go ahead, sorry. Yeah, sorry. And of course, in a book, you can't simply have a character come across, you know, a cow or whatever and say, I'm just going to put this in my pocket and walk around <laughs> this cow like you uh, very often can in an adventure game. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. How do you do the, you know, inventory in a, in a book as well? When because again, in adventure games, they're kleptomaniacs where we again don't think twice about it. But then, if in a book, if a character starts picking up everything that's not nailed down, <laughs> how could he? You'd have to have a chapter every so often. Say, then I looked in my inventory and I found all these items. They're two very different beasts. So. I mean, I enjoy both processes, but I suppose writing was something I tried to get into when I was younger. Um, never really had much success with it. And 
with game design, especially if you're working with a team or even just with one other person, it's so much it's so much better process wise because you know you haven't just got your own input into it and so many things in stomping boots that i look at now and think yeah that was a really good decision it wasn't my original decision but someone else suggested it and i thought yeah do you know what that's much better than my idea <laughs> whereas with a book you just basically you you write it and people have got to put up with it <laughs> So yeah, so this is you know what you've written the stories you've come up with, so it's uh, it's it's my way or the highway. <laughs> um, no, because I, again, I do intend to to read them because I see as well that there is one you you wrote as well, Captain Disaster to to Maris Touch. Uh, is that an original story that you wrote? Yeah, yeah, that's a completely standalone short story. Okay, and. Uh, do do you intend to to turn that into into a game at some point, or do you, if you do work on another game? I know you mentioned very briefly um, that you know that you're working on something. Um, so I suppose that, that can bring me on to the next question: is what can you tell us about any future plans that you may or may not have, or is this the <laughs> end of Captain Disaster? <laughs> the, the plans that I may or may not have. <laughs> Um, all, all I can really tell you is that I have done some pre preliminary design work uh, on a new game and um, my co-dev and I have talked about starting production in the near future. Got to be a little bit careful what I say because <laughs> I have in the past gone ahead and announced a new Captain Disaster game, which for one reason or another has never actually happened. Um, the last one, Captain Disaster, uh, The Trouble with Screaming Sapper Serpents. I, I like long titles for some reason. I don't know why. Um, we never really got started with that because shortly after it was announced, it was going to feature the, one of the characters from Stomping Boots. And I... If someone voices a character for me, I, I tend to get very hung up on associating that person with that character. And unfortunately, that that person died. Oh. And I just couldn't think of starting that project and getting someone else to do it. So that, that may happen at, at some stage. But um, this this game is designed with uh, a bit of a, a streamlined game, game dev process in mind, which may mean nothing because several of my games have been designed with that in mind and it's not quite happened that way. But I think we've we learned so much from the experience and certainly I've learned so much from the experience of making the first Captain Disaster game or at least... Um, the second, it's, it's getting a bit like Star Wars, isn't it? Is it episode one or is it episode four? <laughs> so Stomping Boots was the first one we started working on, but another game was made in between that. So I sort of still think of it as the first, if, if you see what I mean. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, we learned so much from that. I think we can avoid a lot of the mistakes that held us up last time and, and sort of mitigate for the things that might hold us up. So really hope that once we start production, we're not looking at a, a six, seven-year cycle. We're, 
hopefully have something releasable within one or two years. But suffice to say, it's we plan to do at least one more Captain Disaster game. Oh, that, that's good to hear. And uh, yeah, of course, it's understandable as well that um, these things take time. So, but yet, I think people will be very happy to hear that there may be another Captain Disaster game in the future. And do, do you have any other ideas on maybe other games that you would like to make as well? Or uh, are you able to say anything at all? Or would you prefer uh, not to? <laughs> well, in terms of ideas, there are only a few thousand. Um, <laughs> so currently, um, also putting together the Steam store page for uh, an arcade game, a very, very retro arcade game, not retro. I think you mean um, retro, but... don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Called um, The Ancient Art of Staying Alive. It's basically you're, you're a blue square. I've recently, thanks to help from people on Twitter, I've recently named him Hubert McCubert. Um, you're a blue square that is under attack from hundreds of red squares which uh, I believe we've called the Crimson something posse. Crimson Crimson, I can't remember what we've called it. It was only yesterday we did it. Um, <laughs> so anyway, it's, it's just a very, very retro game. You know, so the sort of thing you might find on one of the very old 8-bit consoles like the Atari 2600,000. Um, it's, it's based on high replayability and very, very short spurts of gaming so hopefully that will be out fairly soon and i've also got the rat pack which is a turn-based strategy game which is essentially it's essentially complete as a game but I, i'm still waiting for some artwork and like uh, like most of us the artist i work with he's a guy in uh eastern europe somewhere so either russia or poland i'm fairly certain but then uh, he's he's just madly busy so i don't know when when he's going to be able to get that finished for me but when it does and they've got some testing um be releasing that as well so hopefully that will be i would like to think both of those games will be out before the end of the year but we shall see and in terms of other i uh, i can't say anything now because it's not only my game but i've also started working with someone that i met on twitter with uh, an adventure game that's very different from anything I've done before. It's basically a, a sort of murder stroke psychological mystery game. Um, a first person adventure game. I've always made third person games. So this, this will, I'll, I'll be the writer and designer essentially for this game. So uh, hopefully that will be announced around about the start of June and um, we'll probably be doing a Kickstarter for that. And hopefully that might be out by November, December time. But I don't want to say anything too much about that because it's not my game idea as such. So sure, yeah. well, I'll, I'll be happy to mention. I'll be happy to mention it <laughs> once you have mentioned it, once you once it is official. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, it's a lot to look forward to then. So um, well, for now we can play Captain Disaster. In Death Has a Million Stomping Boots. Now, I did read that because I, I would 
Uh, I would get I, the, the I, name I, wrong. <laughs> I feel like I want to rename it now. Death has a million retro stomping boots. <laughs> Just so I can say it retro. <laughs> yeah, in fact, you can you can say it because no one else would want to say retro. They don't want to say retro. <laughs> They would all say it correctly, but I will say, no, I'll go my own way. <laughs> uh, well, I look forward to checking that game out because I've heard a lot of good things about it. And we, um, I look forward to hearing about the other games that you're working on as well. And so where, I mean, we, we said if the game is available on Steam. Uh, where can people find out more about the game and, well, your games and your books and all the things you're working on? So... Everything that is based around the Captain Disaster universe, um, I've got a website, captaindisastertheComputerGame.com. So everything's there. And I've also recently set up a um, page for each of my other games on that site because I'm far too lazy and skint to want to buy another domain and run that as well. So, yeah, everything everything's basically on there, CaptainDisasterTheComputerGame.com. I don't do anything with short titles. I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> there, there are lots of games now. There was um, a game I played recently, Nick Bounty, and it's Nick Bounty and the Dame with the Blue Chewed Shoe. <laughs> oh, yeah, I need to play that. I've, I've played the first two ages yes, ago. Yes, yes. And Dames of Trouble and the, the Case of Crabs. Yes, yeah, I played those two ages ago as well. Well, the creator, Mark Darren, was on the podcast a few, uh, well, months ago at this stage. It was... Uh, really fun as well to talk to him and really enjoyed the game as well but a lot of games now have uh, long uh, titles and so I don't know if whether it's just to mess with me because when I mentioned on the podcast <laughs> see how, how I do with the, with the titles but um, well I look forward to to play the game and I'm sure a lot of people will as well you're also on Twitter as well you're very active there as well we as we mentioned you you did you, you do some kind of tournaments with the best adventure game series and now it's the best AGS games, I believe you're doing? Uh, no, well, best freeware, point and click. Oh, best freeware, so, yes. Um, AGS is represented extremely well, but I've tried to make sure we've got games from other things like uh, Wintermute, um, Sludge, Visionaire, although I'm not sure if we've got any Visionaire freeware games in the end. But, uh, yeah, it's largely games with AGS because that's been so popular over the years. Mm. So that is going to be a long tournament, 72 games split into 24 groups of three. So voting for them, and then I'll have eight groups of three, and then I'll have quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals. And with a couple of days at least in between each one, it's, yeah, we'll probably be doing this in 2021, <laughs> but maybe not 2025. <laughs> that, that sounds more complex than the Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> And, and it's got more chance of being finished. Yes, yes, it, it does now. Um, anyway, now that Liverpool are out, I have no interest in the Champions League. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, well, I mean, that's, uh, who would have thought that, you know, but uh, that this would now go on and the Champions League would have, uh, well, we see now we're the Premier League as well. We'll see what happens uh, with that. So, and I'll include links to your Twitter as well, because I definitely recommend people follow you there, that you're very active and very interesting as well. Uh, there as well you come up with these really nice ideas so i've not been called interesting before many times so thank you no generally your twitter as well you've come up with these really nice ideas so it's um i definitely recommend people follow you there and um i think that's all the questions that i have uh for you now as well so is there anything that you would like to mention to take us out 
putting on a spot just, there now. <laughs> just just one little tiny thing. Um, yes. If you're playing the game, and in, as in Death has a million stomping boots, and you're at um, in the rubbish dump, and you're at the ship called the Freedomator, which is obviously a take on the Liberator from Blake Seven, which very few people outside Britain probably have heard of, but never mind. Um, if you listen carefully, there's a part where you throw something, and I hum the uh, music to 2001, um, Thus Spake Zuathustra. So I go, and it's all in slow motion. If you listen very carefully at the end, when I've done the dum 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 dum, you can just hear a very little dum dum in the background, which was my daughter, who at the time I recorded that was probably about three or four, and she just came out with that while I was recording, and I thought it was cute, so I left it in. So it's something you could really easily miss, but it's there, and I like it. Wow, so that's something that you just. You're just stunned now, aren't you? Yeah, that's something that, uh, I mean, I, I said you were very interesting, and that's definitely a very interesting anecdote, <laughs> and that's uh, an exclusive, I imagine. You haven't told that anywhere else, have you? Uh, <laughs> or well, maybe you now. have. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember. Probably not. I don't know. So this is an exclusive for the podcast. <laughs> it's, we'll, we'll go with that. It's an exclusive, yes. <laughs> I'll go with that. I'll, I'll take everything I can get. So well, I'll be on the lookout for that then. Um, no, that that's great. I look forward to, to hearing that. <laughs> um, so, well, thank you very much. Uh, well, Captain <laughs> D, Dave, uh, for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank um, you. The very, very best of luck with uh, games release on Steam. And I'm sure it'll, you know, I'm confident it'll do well because I know that a lot of people highly regard your game. So um, I definitely recommend that people check it out. It's on Steam. You can, there are trailers there. You can check it out. And your first game, which should be out as well, that people can check out. And I include links uh, to the uh, to the Steam pages and to your website as well. So the very best of luck and we will definitely keep in contact. Thank you so much. So that was my interview with Captain D. I hope you all enjoyed it. And thank you once again to Captain D for joining me. And I look forward to playing his game very soon. Now, if you want to help support this podcast, you can do so in a number of ways. First of all, you can help support us on Patreon. And once there, you can get early access to episodes. You can also... Get um, you can get access to extra episodes such as spoiler special episodes with developers, and there will be um, other episodes that we will upload as well. So I'll talk about some demos that I've played and some other games that I've played. Uh, you can check it out there. So that is patreon.com forward slash adventure games podcast. Now you can also write a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can check out the link uh, ratethispodcast.com forward slash adventure games podcast and that will direct you to uh, different places you can write a review. So that would really help us as well. You can also share the link either to the website or to the podcast on, so- on social media and on Discord and that will also really, really help get the word out. So uh, thank you to everyone who listens and to everyone who supports us. 
And so next week, I'll be joined as always by Thomas and Laura as we talk about the latest adventure games we've been playing. And it's still possible to win one copy of Techno Babylon. So for more information, please listen to last week's episode. And we uh, next week, we will be revealing the winners of Techno Babylon. So that you can win one of four copies. You just need to answer three questions that were on last week's episode. And you can then send an email to info at adventuregamespodcast.com. So that is it. Thanks for listening. Uh, Take care, everyone. Goodbye. So if you like the Adventure Games podcast, then please subscribe, rate, and review. Wherever you listen to podcasts, please leave a review on iTunes if you can, as every review helps, and reviews will help get the word out, especially for adventure game developers who appear on the podcast. Now, you can also follow me on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at Advent Game Pod. You can follow me on Facebook at Adventure Games Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Adventure Games Podcast as well. And we're also on Discord at Adventure Games Podcast. So if you are a Adventure Game developer or Adventure Game player, you can follow us there. So again, please feel free to retweet and share podcast episodes and the podcast to people who you believe may enjoy it and you can also find more information about the podcast on www.adventuregamespodcast.com so until next time thank you